Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with Anthony Delaney. If this podcast helps you, forward it to others, give us a review and subscribe today. For additional thoughts and resources, visit anthonydelaney.com. I want to welcome you to the Future Church Podcast. My name is Anthony Delaney and I am so delighted to be able to introduce to you as my guest on the Future Church Podcast, um, J- James Emery White. James is the founder and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, which began with a single family and has grown to more than 10,000 active attenders, 70% of which were previously unchurched people. He's the president of Serious Times, which is a ministry exploring the intersection of faith and culture. He hosts the churchandculture.org, which I encourage you to, to go to. He is ranked adjunctive professor of theology and culture on the Charlotte campus of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president. He's a distinguished professor of pastoral ministry at Anderson University, consulting editor to Leadership Journal. And Dr. James is the author of more than 20 books, which have been translated into 10 languages. His most recent publications include Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians, Meet Generation Z, the rise of the nuns, the church in an age of crisis, and what they didn't teach you in seminary. Well, I'm not sure they taught me much that's prepared me for my ministry today, that's for sure, which is why I'm really looking forward to this time. And to top off the resume, he's also been a speaker at the launch conference here in Manchester, where his challenging and inspiring talks have made him such a firm favourite that I'm delighted he's going to be joining us very soon. By the way, if you've not yet booked in, what are you waiting for? Press pause right now and go to launchcatalyst.org and register for November 18th and 19th and join us. So it's my privilege to welcome you again, James, and uh, just thank you very much for your, your time, giving up the time. Thank you. It's my honor. Let's dive straight in, if that's okay, because I've been really looking forward to our talk today. And as I know, you've so much that you can help us to think forward into this post-Christian world that you've written about so much, which you contend typifies our new reality. At the same time, many churches have been saying that since the COVID pandemic, there's something of resurgence of interest in prayer. Certainly a study here in the UK would bear that out. And that many people, especially those in their 20s, have been checking out church online. So is this like revival? Are we, are we actually no longer post-Christian? Were we post I, I see no signs of a renewal or revival, although I get no pleasure from saying that. I think that when the crisis initially hit, there was an interest in you know, more people praying or more people checking out a weekend service online. I think that lasted maybe three or four weeks. And once we got past Easter, that was pretty much gone. Um, I think that if anything, there is more uh, spiritual drift because a lot of churches uh, were kind of uneven in how they engaged people and in how they were able to keep even the people that had been attending. And so I think there's been a lot of churches that have experienced attrition and drift and um, did not have anything really a robust presence online. So uh, I, I know it sounds very uh, pessimistic, but I, I think that um, um, there is that side of it. The other side of it is that um, on a positive note is that it has forced a lot of churches to move online, forced churches to rethink their online presence. 
And um, it has amplified the influence and exposure of at least certain Vanguard churches to reach even more people. Mm. So here's a way maybe of thinking about it. If you weren't healthy before, you weren't online before, uh, you were weekend-centric in mindset and methodology before, then I think this has been uh, a death blow. If you were growing and healthy and had a robust online presence and were thinking outside of an hour on Sunday, then I think that you've actually found this to be a time of of growth and increased um, uh, influence and effectiveness. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag. But in terms of are we still post-Christian? Oh my goodness, yes. Um, nothing's the needle is not moved on that at all. Um, and that's just that's just the reality of our mission field. It's a post-Christian world, post-Christian culture, and uh, has been. What what would kind of evidence that for you these days? What what would be the um, the, the things that would make you be able to see that that as you say that is our mission field? What are the what are the ways in which we have? Um, well, yeah, yeah ways from just. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, it, it's interesting when when I mention to people that in the West it's a post-Christian world. Mm. Um, there's very few people who would argue with that. Um, in fact, I'm, and and those that would, I wouldn't even understand what the motivating factor would be. Like, what what is there to gain, you know, to gain or lose by promoting it that it's still a Christian culture? What what I mean by that is that there have been three eras, Anthony. That uh, when you look back over the last two thousand or so years. Uh, you had the pre-Christian era, mm-hmm. you had the Christian era, and you had the post-Christian era. And the the pre-Christian era ran until, I mean, if you're going to want to put a fine kind of, if you had to pick a point in time, I would say the conversion of Constantine. The Christian era, both culturally and, and in influence around the West, would have been from Constantine to uh, certainly the late Middle Ages and on into the Enlightenment. A lot of people feel like the Enlightenment was just this immediate closing of the door on all things uh, Christ and Christian, but that's simply not a reading of history. Um, the Even the early humanism of the Renaissance was a robust Christian humanism and an engagement of, of, of what um, has been called Rome with Rome, mm. you know, uh, the, the, the Roman Catholic world and, and ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so really, you didn't have the post-Christian world creep up until um, relatively recently when you had, you know, marked by the rise of the nuns and various other things. You had, you had a post-Christian uh, epicenters um, long before now. Uh, the judicial system and the educational system and the mass media were all three very controlled or influenced by a post-Christian mindset, secular mindset, long before, you know, the boots on the ground. Uh, Peter Berger, I think, was the one who said that if uh, India is the most religious country in the world and Sweden is the most secular, a place like America um, uh, was a, a nation of Indians ruled by Swedes. But now it's entirely Swedes in terms of influence and stuff. So um, the rise of the nuns is probably the most evidentially supportive of this final shift from Christian to post-Christian. Uh, it's been, you know, it's a fastest growing uh, religion, the largest religion, mm-hmm. uh, religious trend. And so I think the the evidence is fairly decisive on that. 
Um, and again, there's no pleasure in saying that. It's just that uh, I think we waste our time defending uh, an alternative narrative because what do we gain by trying to cling to the fact that Christians are still wildly influential in culture or that culture somehow is still Christian? It's not like Jesus lost anything. It's not like you know he's less on his throne. Um, it's just the reality of the West right now in this period of time. And, and, and it reminds us the nature of our mission and our mission field. So you, you, you've used a phrase there a few times, the nuns. Non, um, we're going to say it differently because of my accent. <laughs> non- On surveys throughout the UK, the West, the United States, Canada, almost any country in the West, um, uh, it's just certain pockets are more accelerated than others. But across the board, when social surveys are taken that ask people, so what is your... Um, religious affiliation or what are your spiritual convictions? What do you believe? And how would you classify yourself? Would you classify yourself Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Christian, Muslim? Uh, There's always a box at the bottom that says none of the above, or I'm nothing, or none. Mm. And so uh, that box has been checked increasingly uh, over the last several years to where that's you know hence the title of my book the rise of the nuns the number of people who would be religiously unaffiliated and so it's it's a it's a staggering amount um i think i was uh 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 you 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 folk have been ahead of us but only until recently we like you were you were on that climb up with the nuns we were behind but we're on more like this right. so we're we're fast approaching your levels uh, but we've just done it a lot quicker. Yeah, I think even during the time of my ministry, there's been I can recognise something of that shift. You know, I'm ordained as a Church of England vicar, although I, that isn't what I'm currently doing. But I remember my wife, who works in a, um, a casualty a ER department, and she said people would used to come in and say on that box, ticking the box, and some of them would say, "I, I don't believe anything. Put me down as Church of England." <laughs> which kind oh. of was, <laughs> which was like uh, there would be a, a, a there would even for some people be a kind of a, a some affiliation in some way that that they saw themselves. But I think more and more, if anything, I suppose in some ways, it, is it isn't it to be celebrated that you got some people who are just sort of at least being honest. Uh, oh yeah, I, I don't find it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I wish that the trend wasn't going that way, but I do think it it makes for a more honest and open starting point. I used to, in the early years of Mac in the United States, mm-hmm. we kind of saw this pattern of uh, we we kind of almost joked about it. We'd have to spend the first chunk of time uh, helping them realize they weren't a Christian, mm-hmm. and then we could tell them how to actually be one. But in the early years, everybody walked in thinking they were a Christian. I mean, because it was such a, in a cultural waters and they didn't really understand even what Christianity meant um, or being in a relationship with Christ. So there, when we would even have people say that I came to Mac, realized I was not a Christian right. and then became one. Now uh, people are very upfront saying, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a Christian. I'm not there. I'm at best a spiritual um, explorer or I'm open, or I'm here because I have some questions, or I'm just interested in what you might say about this particular issue. Um, but uh, they're very open and confident in saying that they're nothing. And I think that the culture has helped that too. I think they always were, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of nuns, but um, just more so now, and it's more politically correct to say that. 
Yeah, I think we've also, I mean, we're different in different places, but we've, uh, I don't want to get into the politics of this too much, but we, uh, one thing we've not got, I don't think, is the sense of the religious affiliation to any particular party, if it, it, you know, if you like. Of, um, but it, it, it seems that perhaps over there, there's been uh, the word Christian has got tied up with all kinds of things that that. No, no, it's true, um, and and I I think that um, there 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 is a there is a strong current of what's known as Christian nationalism mm-hmm. in the United States. And it's the idea that, as John Winthrop once said, we're to be a city on a hill. America was founded to be the New Jerusalem, mm-hmm. uh, founded by Christians and to be a Christian nation, be a light of the world. And uh, God's providential hand has been on her ever since until she backslid, uh, elected the wrong leaders, embraced the wrong laws, you know, became from the New Jerusalem to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the narrative is, is that therefore, um, in in elections and other legislations, we're trying to recapture our sense of of our Christian moorings. The other narrative on the complete flip side is that uh, no, we were very much more influenced by John Locke and the ideals of the French Revolution and the Enlightenment, and and uh, many of our leaders were deists like Thomas Jefferson or even maybe borderline atheists like Benjamin Franklin and. And um, yes, there were Christians buzzing around like John Adams, but they were by and large, you know, we, the whole idea of separation of church and state was to keep the church out of the state and to keep it secular. Mm-hmm. Uh, both narratives uh, uh, by any historian, uh, secular or Christian, a trained historian would find both faults, both narratives faults. Um, but religious nationalism is a much more attractive mythology to embrace. And so therefore, a lot of things are looked through, uh, um, you know, Christianity is kind of going through a political lens first in many people's minds. And it's one of the reasons why we're working so hard, many of us to say, look, I mean, be political, engage the political process, be salt and light. That's what that's for. Uh, That metaphor was uh, very intended very seriously by Jesus to be an influence on our culture. But just remember that you're a Christian first and you're a Republican or Democrat second. Understand that the goal is really not a Christian nation, but a nation of Christians Mm-hmm. And, you know, a whole host of kind of guiding principles as we walk through this um, process. But uh, everything's been politicized in America. The wearing of face masks and not wearing a face mask. Do you stay open? Do you not stay open? Mm-hmm. And it's been deeply partisan and religions got thrown into it, particularly the Christian faith. And um, it's been uh, it's been a mess and it's not been our best moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh Fortunately, there's a lot of, you know, sane voices out there, but um, unfortunately, some of the ones that are less sane tend to be the ones that are yelling the loudest. So it's, it's a mess. I mean, right now, and, and, um, and I think that it, it's, it's pretty embarrassing. I can only imagine what it looks like from to you folk from across the pond. Oh, we've got our own mess. We're, we're, we're good with ours. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up, but I do. Follow <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. Uh, I'm not in a we're not so it used to be, you said, that people would come to Mech and they would uh, say, well, uh, you know, they could tell that there was a difference. They could say, well, I'm not, a, you know, you'd, you'd show them that they weren't a Christian. Um, nowadays, people maybe aren't even sure what a Christian is. So you're saying about us being salt and light. What would you say are the distinctives now that would make somebody recognize, oh, you, you know, you are a, a follower of Christ? 
Well, what I, what I meant was that we had to cut through the cultural understandings of what it meant to be a Christian, because in the States, to say you were not a Christian, say, 20 years ago, would be to say, uh, you know, you hate baseball and you're a communist. I mean, it was it's such a cultural package. Mm-hmm. So um, we had to cut through that. We don't have to cut through that now because people aren't carrying that around. What we have to do now is is go way back and realize that we're dealing with um, someone who is irreligious, who's post-Christian, doesn't even have the Christian memory. And so therefore, we're having to do uh, Christianity 101. We're having to explain things and move them down the point to where they can even understand the nature and, and implications and sinews of the gospel. And so it's it's heavily explanation. And and I've, and I've talked about this widely. Um, old school apologetics, basically we're tackling the enlightenment questions. Um, does God exist? Mm-hmm. Um, can I have confidence in the in the original manuscripts and the translation of the Bible and so forth? Um, did Jesus rise from the dead? Okay, good questions. It's not that they've gone anywhere. It's just that um, that that's kind of those are advanced questions. Mm. The, the more rudimentary questions for someone who's never been exposed to the Christian faith is, well, let me just tell you who, who this Jesus said he was, and mm. tell you a little bit about what the Bible is, or um, why the resurrection of a man from the dead would even matter. Um, it's it's going back to that level of explanation. Which, interestingly, most Christians seemed just like a deer caught in the headlights. It's like, mm. well, I don't know how to talk about it that way, which shows that our own discipleship has been lacking. I think that, I mean, I don't know how much you, you want to chase, but this is some of it's just my own opinion and observation. But it's like uh, a lot of discipleship that's coming out today that a lot of churches do, it's like it's for this advanced group of Christians mm. that, that need the 15th Beth Moore study they've been through this year. They're just dying to hear some little tidbit from the Greek or historical background they'd never heard before. Mm. And, and it's like it's for this advanced, already spiritually fat person, as opposed to someone who who's has never doesn't even know how to open up the Bible and begin to read it and apply it to their life. And so I, I, in fact, this is what my next book is coming out first of the year is about. It's, it's, it's simply called after I believe. Mm. And, and it's, 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 it's going back and saying, it's a book on the most foundational discipleship. How do you read the Bible? How do you pray? How do you worship? Um, And, and, and when we get those things down, I think we're going to be in a lot better shape to talk to a a non-Christian who has needs the basics explained. And so, um, so that that's that's something that has changed both in terms of evangelism and, and apologetics. The second thing that I would say that that because that's very content based is that they really need to see something within an individual's life and in a community's life that they don't see anywhere else. Mm. Um, if 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 they don't if they don't see something about Christ intersecting the deepest needs of my life or a community that truly is practicing to one another's and is loving one another and is handling conflict in a way that's unlike the world if they if they don't see that loving community and a changed life then we have nothing to offer them that they, that they don't already have mm-hmm. and so i think that um that uh we we really have to recapture that and i think that's one of the reasons why satan has gone after uh, disunity and rancor and 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 created so much mischief within Christians 
through things like a political process or a pandemic because uh you know he's he's able to just attack that core um evangelistic uh appeal that Jesus talked about in his high priestly prayer when he said if if you you know if you can be one as I and the father are one then that will what be the greatest um, affirmation of who I am to the watching world. And so I think we've forgotten that that evangelism 101 mm. and apologetics 101 is a unified, loving church community uh, that is modeling something that the world doesn't have. Wow, so good. Now the church is mostly online for many of us. Um, less and less people can actually go to church right now. So uh, how how do we engage? What you know? What what's what are, the, what are the churches doing that are actually still engaging in this new reality that nobody really saw coming to help people to see that we are this, this loving community? And um, you know, how do you do that when everything's in 2D? How do we? Well, um, I can, I'll, you know, let's get the big idea first about, you know, so that we really do understand our new reality. Mm. We used to be a, a a a physical gathering ministry that was served digitally in some ways now we have to see ourselves as a digital reality a digital ministry that can be served physically mm. and we got to get that fundamental shift in our thinking so we need to think about how can those opportunities when we are allowed to gather or the ways we're allowed to gather or the ways that we're allowed to use whatever physical property or campus we might have, how can that be leveraged to serve our huge digital footprint and our main digital engagement? Mm -hmm. And so that's just a, a, a shift in thinking strategically. So for example, we're, you know, we've, we're already, as you know, uh, had closed our many sites, consolidated, and we're moving toward a larger digital uh, presence because of the digital revolution long before this hit, which now we even feel 20,000 times better about than we mm -hmm. had before. Uh, and we're looking a lot smarter than we were. But um, so now we, we've, we've shifted so many of our resources around to all things graphic arts and all things uh, the online campus and staffing and hosting and treating the online campus as an actual service, just like we would if it was physical mm. uh, with guest services teams and everything else working that experience and, mm. and, um, and the production of, of, of online experiences and curricula for children and so forth. I mean, everything's online and everything that can go online, classes, discipleship, everything is online. Yeah. But then Physically, we've been doing things to work very hard to keep people engaged. Beyond that, it's not like that's not engaging people. Mm. People say, well, there's online fatigue. Well, there's online fatigue for things that have no value. That's people good. are online. So if, if your church is feeling a lot of fatigue, maybe you need to rethink the quality of what you're offering. Yep. And um, so... Uh, and we challenge ourselves that with that, 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 you know, online fatigue is not an excuse because people will do what they value and what serves their life. So we need to make sure that we own that. Mm. But then our own physical things, we've done things like, uh, outside socially distanced worship concert concerts. We've done, um, we've done what taken, uh, and any church could do this. You don't have to have a large parking lot like we do, but you could probably find even large parking lots. But anyway, we've done drive-through experiences uh, with our um, 
that we've gone onto our campus and created this experiential immersive event where you drive, you stay in your car and, 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 and it's a kind of a family friendly event that gets people out of the house and, and, you know, I can get into that more if you want, but drive through experiences. We've, uh, we have, we have a large campus, we have 80 acres. And so we've done, uh, what we call trail experiences where, you know, we create, um, an immersive experience on, as you walk, uh, say maybe a mile or two on a trail mm. and thematically, you know, make that, uh, uh, a, a real experience, a real, uh, um, with signs and activities and events and, and, you know, all kinds of things. We're getting ready to do another one of those. Mm. We're going to be doing a major event at Christmas. We can't do Christmas services, um, but we're turning our building and campus into a walk-through, drive-through Christmas experience that tells the story of Christmas and engages them. And in fact, we've been working on our building uh, for already for over 30 days, turning it into this, because it's not being used for anything like that, turning it into this really it'll be a very cool walk through socially distanced um uh immersion and that. so we have been um started virtual small groups we we've we've done um we we've done a lot to keep people engaged and i have been a little surprised when i've talked with some folks who feel like they're just they're ch- people in their church are just drifting and you know not mm. checking out online or anything like that and I kind of ask a few questions about what they're doing to engage people, and they're just not really doing much of anything. Um, yeah, and if if they were a business, they'd either do so or go bust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so this is what this is what's so um, frustrating for me is it just as a person who cares about the church, wherever she is. It's like okay, so you're online. It's not going well your giving's down, you feel people are drifting. Um, and so, you know, you think the answer is you've just got to have those weekend services. And so you either do it in a way that flouts the law or puts people's health at risk, or, you know, you kind of have a damn the torpedoes mentality where you say, okay, I can only, we can only follow protocols and have 30 people in, in our building, but we're going to have those 30 because that's the way to to make sure we don't sink. Mm. And I think that, that that weekend mentality, that hour on Sunday, that that it's almost like that's our mission. That's that's what it means to do and to be church. Yeah. Is is uh is was killing us before and is hastening the death of so many churches now because they cling to that extremely archaic and outdated mentality. Yeah, yeah. I, I read in um, Generation Z, you talk about um, how we need to, um, well, I think you talked, is that where you talked about the squishy middle? You had this idea in the, uh, the, 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 the there was the squishy center of, of um, you know, the, the, there's kind of believers and then there's, you know, nuns or atheists, I suppose, but in the middle of this kind of squishy center. Do you think some of this could even be that when we're losing more people, not to blame the people, because, yeah, do what you can to grab them, but my, my life verse is Mark eight thirty four, and it says Jesus called the crowd to him together with his disciples, and he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And, and I wonder if we're getting something of a distinction here, effectively, between disciples and crowd, and yeah, we want to keep on reaching out to the crowd, but maybe part of the the kind of thinning out of this that we're seeing um, is also because 
um, some people had just become consumers and all those. Yeah, what I call the squishy center is this idea that that um, that you have you know hardcore Christians on one side and hardcore non Christians on the other side. And let's just mm-hmm. say I'm gonna make these figures up. Let's say both of them are twenty percent. So in the middle, you have this squishy sixty percent that tend to move toward wherever the cultural pressure is or whatever uh, um, wherever culture is moving. And in fifty years ago, uh, the cultural pressure was you know. You know, as you just said, okay, I may be nothing, but I'm Church of England. You know, I'm I'm going to say Church of England, uh, or I'm going to say I'm Baptist, or I'm going to say I'm Christian, because to say otherwise just felt culturally inappropriate and was frowned upon. And so, our, you know, we had that squishy center move that way. Even if they only came on Christmas and Easter or showed up for Billy Graham crusade, they you, they still put themselves in that camp. Now, with culture almost, uh, you know, certainly no friend to the Christian faith, media no friend of the christian faith uh and so you have that squishy center finding that hey it's just a lot more socially acceptable to say i'm nothing much more socially acceptable to stay away from the church or want nothing to do with the church or any type of aspect of christianity and um i'm spiritual but not religious and and even my spirituality i want to make sure is a hip and trendy kind of thing that would be appealing to people and not something that would be Mm off-putting and so they have moved that way and so when people say uh, oh, good. Well, then I don't really have to worry. You know, that 20% of Christians hasn't drifted, so we're still good. No, <laughs> we're not still good. And here's why. It, it's just made that squishy center that much harder to reach mm-hmm. because there's an, an alienation, if not an antagonism toward the Christian faith, even if they don't know anything about the Christian faith. So it's harder to reach. And besides, that squishy center was always our mission field whether in the days of Moody and Whitfield and Graham or today. So it's just made it harder. The, the other dynamic, though, is that that mythical 20% I'm talking about of hardcore Christians um, having stayed the same, that's actually not true. It's been eroding itself quite a bit. The number of people who really uh, would adhere strongly to the Christian faith or say they have left the Christian faith, um, it's those numbers are looking uh, dire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Um, now, if somebody wants to say, okay, are you saying the sky is falling? I would say, well, it depends on where you're at. If you are in the UK, if you're in Canada, if you're in the United States, uh, nothing's trending well. Mm. Uh, if you're in Africa and some parts south of the equator, I mean, that's where Christianity is growing. Mm. And that's where we're having our, 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 our most effective um, evangelistic and growth results, but not in, not in the typical West. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to side angle, if I can, on, off the back of that, having visited some of those places. Um, one thing they consistently, certainly from out, out perform me on, um, is kind of time on their knees. It's um, when I go out to these places, there's you know, a simple gospel, there's simple discipleship, but also there is ultimately a spiritual side to this. There's a prayer, uh, and yeah, we. I mean, I love to talk about engaging with culture and with the ideas that are, are current, etc. Um, but but how? What are our? You know, what are our kind of? Um, what's our best spiritual approach in in days like this? What are the kind of uh, practices of of prayer, praying for our nation, praying for our neighbour, those kind of things that perhaps we uh, we you know? I certainly realise that. 
during this time as I look back. I've been, I'm an activist um, in many ways. Um, how do I balance that with the sovereignty of God and with actually praying for him to come and, and do what only he can do? You know, uh, uh, there's that verse in Proverbs, it says, the horse is made ready for battle. But it's That's the Lord who brings about the victory. So where's the, you know, which which is which is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I mean, it's a, it's it's not a dichotomy. It's it's a sense of, you know, pray for revival and 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 work as hard as we can in every other conceivable way. And and wasn't it Luther or Augustine? I can't remember which that said, you know, work as if it all depends on you, and praise as if it all depends on God. Yeah. But I, I will say, in terms of 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 the culture the west there's several mm. things and i say this not at others i say this to me as well mm. so there's a uh you know a, a healthy humility and a sense of my own depravity when i say this because i'm, I'm saying it as much to me as anyone mm. our real hope is is to be people who are you know, renew their emphasis on prayer mm. their emphasis on personal piety their emphasis on a personal relationship uh and a sense to where when somebody is around us, they do sense something that is not of this world. Right. And, and I, one of the things that I, I love about like where the church is growing fastest right now and, and having traveled to many of those places is I love how the entire Christian faith is so raw and unfiltered. It's just, it's just, and, and there's no shame and there's no awkwardness and it's, 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 it is worn on the chest of their lives. Mm. And and it and they let it change everything about their life, and they do that with exuberance. Mm. And it's 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 um it's humbling to me because I I walk away feeling uh their there's their their faith is just so much more vibrant than my own, and um and it wants and I want to renew that, and that's. That's always been one of the things in my own life that has always been the biggest challenge for me is when I'm around someone or some group that is uh, more sold out for Jesus than I am, worshiping in a more heartfelt way than I do, that is taking holiness and obedience more seriously, taking prayer more seriously. That's that's where the challenge comes. And I think that if we could just have the South, global South, mm. challenge the cultural West that you know if they, we could get that kind of missionary coming to us mm. or get a sense of renewal there that would be what would be, be uh, as obviously more key than a thousand seminars on how to think christianly about culture <laughs> i that said i remember uh, hearing about leslie newbegin bishop leslie newbegin when he came back from his time as a missionary bishop in india and he came and said he got off the plane at an airport in London and said that he sensed and felt in that place a uh, a spiritual blanket that kind of covered him just he actually said that he, he felt that and 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 that this was effectively uh, a, a more pagan place than where he'd been because obviously there they worshipped thousands of gods mm-hmm. um, um, and you know it, it in in meet generation z you talk about how we need to be like the tribe of issachar who understood the hinge moments the signs of the times and you know it seems like right now we have a whole door full of hinges 
um, of things that are changing, et cetera, and that are changing mindsets. Some good, some might close people down. What, what would be the most important changes that you're seeing right now? And how do we, uh, rather than being sideswiped by them, how do we take advantage of, of the, the, the cultural shifts that maybe are just potentially for some people punching a little hole in that uh, spiritual? There's, there's two that are clear, at least to my thinking that uh, are uh, the most um, important to understand. One is, is the, the fact that we are now in a post-Christian world culture. And the second is, is the acknowledgement of the digital revolution that has taken place. Mm. Um, and let me see if I can put this in a larger context. The, they, the, those two things reflect, uh, the post-Christian world reflects our mission field. The digital revolution is is what dictates how we reach and speak into and talk to that mission field. Okay, so those two things, the mission field and the nature of communication to that mission field, um, this is only the third time there has been, this is only the third iteration in, in uh, Western history. Uh, for you go back to, say, the time of Jesus, um, the mission field was to a pre-Christian pagan world, and the communication was largely oral in nature. Mm -hmm. Okay, fast forward to, say, the 300s, 400s, and you had the shift from pre-Christian to Christian, and you had the shift from oral to writing and then mechanized writing. Now, for only the third time, we've shifted from Christian to post-Christian in terms of our mission field, and from mechanized writing to digital in terms of communication all things communication. So this is a massive shift and why I've been calling of late for what I call church 3.0, because we're in, because of these, you know, we're in the third iteration of these two uh, things. And um, I think that what the pandemic has done has uh, particularly with the digital side has just advanced things probably by at least five to 10 years faster than it would have naturally. Yeah. And so if there's anything to really understand is that um, the, 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 we're just going to get further and further and further away from our Christian heritage and memory. And so don't expect for that to just, you know, turn the Holy Spirit and do whatever he wants. But I mean, uh, you know, his history has been to, you know, let nations choose. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so don't, I wouldn't expect that to change. Uh, and then second, um, for goodness sake, don't see this, what's happening digitally right now as a blip on the screen. You can't wait to get back to the good old days. When, when we come back, and I'm not the only one forecasting this, when we fully reopen post-vaccine, everything, you, whatever scenario you want to paint, mm -hmm. uh, we'll have fewer attenders than we ever had before. Mm -hmm. And we'll have a much stronger online presence and people joining us online than ever before. And the, the church really will have made this official shift from uh, away from the digital serving the physical to the physical serving the digital. And so we need to put as, you know, put our eggs in the digital basket and realize that that is going to be how people are engaged. It is going to be where community is played out. It is going to be where outreach happens. doesn't matter whether we like it or not. It's just the reality of it. And, um, and so, and, and people who say that can't be done are simply going to be left in the dust of people who are doing it. Amen. Yeah. I, 
I want to, I'm going to pause for a minute, speak to any leader who's listening to this now, who's thinking this through, and I just want you to think, what are the implications of what I just heard for me where I am? But just to actually take a moment and realise the, the, the gravity of the, the season that we are in, that we've been called to lead, we've been privileged to lead in, that uh, is going to require us to really hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches uh, in this time and to be able to respond to it and not just to look back to the some hazy good old days that probably never were, but to think, what, what, what's this new future and how can I be part of it? And what do I need? What do I need to, how does this change in terms of staffing, in terms of priorities, in terms of budget, in, in terms of focus? Um, this is a time potentially for reorganizing, for resetting, for reinvention. Uh, all those things happen this year at launch. Our, our the word behind it is reframe. I think we've had a reframe of uh, we or we we have to have a reframe of how we see everything. And uh, I'm just so grateful that you know I think I'm going to take that bit that you just said there, James, and just play that to all of our guys, all of our leaders, and to the elders. Just not, not that in a way it's a surprise to me, but I think you just crystallized such an important learning for us to be able to to think through the implications of yeah thank you um so we're going to close out in just a few minutes is there anything else if you could just sit down now with um with one of the leaders perhaps somebody who's going to be joining us at, at launch soon in november or or somebody who you know let's think about somebody who's just been you know knocked for six as we would say here by this this pandemic who's kind of head spinning and everything seems to have have, um, have, have gone, you know, like you said in your book, the seminary did not prepare them for this. What, what do you think is most important for such a leader to be able to, to grab hold of and keep hold of so that we can, uh, we, we can move? There is a phrase in American politics, I'm sure it's present in others, that, uh, that says, don't ever waste a good crisis. <laughs> don't, let a good, don't let a crisis ever go to waste. In mm -hmm. other words, take advantage of what it affords you to fast track change, make adjustments, repent of what you need to repent of, um, right size where you need. I mean, right now, there is a, the, the yes, I mean, your world could be spinning out of control, but, you, but look at the things that, it's affording you to do or could afford you to do the change you could implement the, the, the strategy changes in your personal life, what, what it's affording you. So try to, um, try to, try to seize as much of that as you possibly can so that you don't waste this. Like if this is allowing you to completely right size a staff or change a team or alter a strategy or mm. be less dependent on various things or sell off property or move into this. I mean, Hey, this this could be affording you what would take you ten years to of effective change management. You can get done right now, and nobody's even going to blink an eye. Yeah. So don't let it go to waste, and don't let it go to waste in your personal life. One of the things that I've been trying to do is is that I I realize I'm never going to have a season of life like this again, and and the the freedom I have, the time I have, the the lack of travel there's so many I'm, i'll never i'll look back on this not having weekends i mean i'll look back on this and i don't want to say i can't believe i wasted this enormous gift of time yeah and so um 
And of course, then the obvious thing I would say to somebody who's struggling is that I, I just, you know, as I was telling you, Anthony, before we went live with this, I feel bad talking about, you know, if things are going well with me or our church, because I know it's going not so well with others. And all I can just say to people is that I'm just so sorry. And I, I, I pray for churches and leaders. And I, 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 I guess I would say this, um, this is kind of a, a weird way of encouraging you, but, um, God is trusting you with this in a way that shows that because he knows you can be trusted mm. through this kind of crisis. Um, I'm not, Mech is not being particularly hard hit. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm not, I couldn't be trusted with it. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to have that kind of a sense of, of, of fatalism, mm. but I do sense, I do know that, that, when difficulty happens, I mean, it is something that we're being trusted with in terms of our response, because, you know, at the very least, we can say God allowed it. And nothing happens to us that doesn't first pass through the hands of the God wildly in love with us. Mm. And so uh, all I can say is, is that, you know, you're being trusted. And, 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 um, and I, I, I pray that, um, you look back on this and certainly God look back on this and found that you were trustworthy. Yeah. Come on. Well, I'm going to ask James to pray for us in just a few moments. So get yourself ready for that. If you're listening to this in the car, you might want to go somewhere and pull over because we don't encourage people to drive with their eyes closed. That's not faith. That's just stupid. <laughs> um, I am so grateful for these things that we've heard. And uh, I also encourage you to get hold of uh, some of James's books He's written 20 of them, as we've said, but I, I haven't read quite a few of them. Every page, you're going to read something that's going to help you to understand uh, how to be a leader and uh, and to be able to do something practical and to understand the times that we're living in. So I'm so grateful for th that and encourage you again to book into the launch conference and uh, and hear more uh, from Dr. James Emery White. So James, would I uh, could I just ask you to pray for us, please? Father, uh, just my prayer is simple, um, that uh, what was of you during this conversation will remain in our hearts and minds, and what is not will quickly fade away, that it will be the work and the prompting of the Holy Spirit that will make that decision for us. I pray for my brothers and sisters in ministry uh, who are hearing this, that uh, particularly are going through a difficult time, and I just, I don't know how to pray for them, but you do, and so I just pray that the Holy Spirit will take my words and express so clearly the petitions that I'm making on their behalf. I pray all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I just want to add one more thing for people that just came to mind as James was praying there that don't do this alone and, um, you know, get involved in networks of people that are, are going to be able to, they'll lift you when you're down, you can lift them when you're up and, you know, iron sharpens iron and we need to, uh, not be isolated in this season of, of so much isolation. And it's one of the reasons I'm so grateful um, to have been able to re renew our acquaintance here today. So thank you very much to James Emery White. Thanks for listening to the Future Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, listen back with your team and share it. Further thoughts and resources can be found at anthonydelaney.com.